Hello, Marvelites! Welcome to This Week in Marvel. I'm Ryan, a.k.a. Agent M, and I am here, very excited, at the Cartoon Arts Museum in San Francisco. We're going to do a live This Week in Marvel, but I can't do it alone, and I have a very special guest co-host for this episode. Please, Mr. Greg Miller from Kinda Funny. Give it up for Greg! So, This Week in Marvel, for those of you who are uh, joining us for the first time, whether it's on audio or here in the room, it is a show where we talk about everything at Marvel, from the comics to the video games, the movies, TV shows, everything. We're going to talk about stuff that we're excited about a little bit here and there. I do a, a big talk section every week where it's just basically I pick a topic and we dive into it. Normally, it's with my amazing co-host, Lorraine Sink. She's at, back in New York. She's working on New York Comic Con stuff. I do a This Week in Marvel history section, which I've been doing every week uh, this entire year, looking at every single year in Marvel's history to find first appearances and things like that. It's real fun, and there's some fun synchronicity uh, with us being here this week. Uh, we do an interview every week, and we have a community section. The community section for this episode is going to be a little bit different, because you are a community this episode. Uh, for those of you in the room, you may see some wonderful toys provided by my friends Ooh, at, wow. yes, at Hasbro. Uh, I am not taking those back home. Those uh, came from my office. Uh, those will go with some of you. We're going to do some questions and answers later. That seemed like a good idea. I like that idea quite a bit. Very good. When do you sleep? It seems like a lot goes into this show. Yeah. It's Luckily, you're not doing New York Comic Con, right? You're not doing anything there. Well, <laughs> yeah, we got a lot going on in New York Comic Con. You know what? Let's talk about New York Comic Con a little bit. Let's Thank do you. it. That was a good Greg way. That's what I'm here for, Greg way. Everybody knows kind of funny. I think uh, you're a staple in this Man, town. you are definitely giving yeah. us too much credit beyond. Thank you, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so... You know, normally I talk about the thing I'm most excited about this week. It is New York Comic Con. That is October 3rd through the 6th. Now, this is also going to be an episode going out tomorrow. Big shout out to our producers who are going to turn this around real quick. When do they sleep? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, Greg, have you ever been to New York Comic Con? I have been to New York Comic Con. I love New York Comic Con. Yeah. Great show. Yeah. Do you host anything? Or are you just going for coverage or for a fan? Oh, I've been fan? there. I've hosted a bunch of stuff there. This year I'm not going. This year I'm not. I had to stop. Okay. I've been on the road nonstop this yeah, year. Right? Where you were you, somewhere? You were in LA two days ago. Two days ago. Yeah. Yep. Last of Us. Yeah. Last okay. of Us Part Two. Uh, yeah. It's that. Then it's Toronto for EGLX. Then it's uh, Montreal. Then it's New Jersey for a wedding. Then it's like a couple weeks off. Then it's Extra Life for 24 hours of gaming for charity. Then it's going to be off to London. Then it's off to Paris. Then it's back here. And then it's the holidays, which are always not stressful at all. Great. <laughs> yeah. You are busier than anyone else, and I appreciate you being here uh, for New York. Comic-Con, we're going to have a Spider-Man Spectacular this week in Marvel panel, which is going to be really fun. Uh, for those of you who are listening, will join us at New York Comic-Con. That is October 3rd, Thursday, 2.45 p.m. in room 1A24, and is all about Spider-Man. We're going to have Ghost Spider writer Shauna McGuire, Amazing Mary Jane writer Leah Williams, Amazing Spider-Man artist Pat Gleason, Spidey editor Nick Lowe. All of them are going to be joining us. We're going to do giveaways. I like giving stuff away. Because right. you have so much stuff. I really do. When you work at the Marvel office, so I have to admit, I've been there. You open just random coat closets and toys fall on you. <laughs> like, that's, that's true. That's <laughs> not untrue. Uh, for everybody who is here in San Francisco with us, if you can't come to New York Comic Con, if you won't be there, we're going to release uh, the episode from New York Comic Con on the feed. Uh, we'll probably share some videos and all that good stuff. So make sure you subscribe to This Week in Marvel. There's also a live stream, October 3rd through 6th, which I will be hosting some stuff there. That's marvel.com slash NYCC19. That'll be on Marvel's YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, all those good places. You've been on the live stream before. I sure have, yeah. I think I missed you the last time you were That's were? how it usually works, yeah. You're uh, never there, you know what I mean? It's rare you get us both on the panel. I know. Yeah, exactly. yeah, I'm very happy right about here. this. I got you for a good 
90-ish minutes if we go the whole <laughs> time. Also, I host a video show, co-host a video show called Earth's Mightiest Show. We're going to be live Thursday and Sunday of New York Comic Con. And we actually are going to have Greg yep. and Tim, Tim Geddes, Tim Geddes mm-hmm. from Kind of Funny on Earth's Mightiest Show. I have a fun little game to play okay. with you guys for that one. So. Yeah, Tim's like, what are these shows you booked us on? And I'm like, I don't know. Great. <laughs> We're going to find out together. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be real good. Uh, but there's plenty more happening at New York Comic Con. Panels, reveals, chat streams, exclusive merch, and more. And for kind of funny fans, Marvel Games, they're mm-hmm. going to be there. Mm-hmm. Plenty of activity at the con. Bill Roseman, I know yeah. you, you mentioned Billy a, a lot. I love Bill. Yeah. Yep. Uh, they got their own big game panel coming they up. They do. Right? They're going to be about a- that Iron Man VR. Let's go. Marvel's Avengers yeah. and much more. They're going to be at Madison Square Garden. That's going to be a fun one. Yeah. I think I'm going to be in the crowd for that one. Just enjoy it. Live tweet it. Have a good time. I like how you're like, I'm going to be in the crowd and enjoy it while I live tweet it yeah. while I work nonstop. I know. <laughs> uh, and uh, for this week of Marvel, we're going to do mini episodes every day at the convention because there's a bunch of news that's going to drop and I already know all about it. It's going to be a good show. Give us a preview right now. Nope. Okay. So uh, I mentioned our big talk this week. We're going to be discussing San Francisco Woo! in Marvel Comics. <laughs> kind of the, old, the whole Marvel universe. Uh, I was thinking about this. We're coming here. Why not talk about really what is a very important city for Marvel? Uh, A lot of characters, a lot of stories. We're going to get into that a little bit later. Our interview this week, we're actually going to have two guests. We're going to have Matthew Rosenberg come on later on the show. He's a writer of Punisher, X-Men, so many more comics. But we are doing a big interview to start the show with legendary Marvel comics artist Arthur Adams. And you know what? Let's start it right now. Arthur, could you please come to the stage? Give it up for Arthur Adams. First things first, Arthur, the uh, way I always start our, our chats on This Week at Marvel is... Oh, hi, guys. Hi, <laughs> is uh, asking, what is your Marvel origin story? Like, how did you become, uh, uh, you know, interested in Marvel as a, a fan? How I became interested as a fan? Well, when I was a very young lad, I discovered the movie King Kong, which was like my favorite, might still be my favorite movie. Very cool. Um, and it's, if anyone doesn't know, King Kong has monsters in it. Yeah, so I, that's true. I, that's true. Through King Kong, I also found things like Frankenstein and Creature from the Black Lagoon and the Wolfman and all those. So I just was crazy for monsters. So if I could find something in life that would involve monsters, I was going to be happy. So I was figuring out, would you do like special effects or something? Or I would work on storyboards for movies. And then uh, my father was in the Air Force. Um, so when my dad was away, my mom would take us to the local thrift shop and the guys who were going overseas would like just get rid of all their old comics. So there'd be like bales of comics. There'd be like 10 pounds of comics wrapped in twine for like a buck or something like that. And so I have four younger brothers. So my mom said, that's a good idea. (laughs) As I said, I have four younger brothers. This worked out for you. So I got to the, I got to the bale first. So I found... Lots of old Jack Kirby, Stan Lee, Steve Ditko monster comics. Yeah. Like, put those aside, and having found those, I saw there's some things called Fantastic Four that had a character called The Thing, which is he's the monster guy, right? Yeah. So I got that, and then the Hulk, of course, and yeah, through, yeah. through those, falling in love with those characters, they, you know, got to really like Spider-Man and just, just all of the Marvel comics. And then, of course, I was buying... Not of course, you don't know this, but I was buying <laughs> comics in the 70s, and uh, I think the very first comic I bought on the stand with my own money, Man Thing number three. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyone who knows fear burns at the touch of Man Thing, which is such a cool idea. It's like, if you get spooked by him, you're toast. He's gotcha. It's real fun. And he's uh, fun to draw. I, yes. I liked him better. I, I think I actually, when it was on the stand, there was 
uh, Man Thing number three, right next to a Bernie Wrightson Swamp Thing. Oof. And I bought Man Thing because he looks more like a monster. Man Thing doesn't have a human face. He doesn't have Great. eyes. Mm. He's more monster. So were you drawing the whole time as well? Like you were picking. I've been times? drawing since I was three. Since, okay. Okay. since I was three years old. So. And, and were you drawing the monsters all the time as well? I was drawing mostly dinosaurs. Okay. And monsters. And trying to draw people, but I was pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> I think you figured those out. Uh, uh, it's nice to think so. Yes. Uh, so your Marvel work, your first interior work was Longshot? It was. Yeah. One of the most interesting things about issue one of Longshot, it took you so long to do. How did you get away with that? You can't do that. There was, well, fortunately, a couple of things worked out for me. My editor, Louise Simonson, mm -hmm. she had just retired as a, an editor, but because she was friends with Annie Nocenti, she'd have volunteered to continue freelance editing. So that's number one. Number two, I lived at home with mom and dad. There you go. Ah, Perfect. Yeah. Okay, cool. There you go. And I was, uh, I was 19 years old. Sure. So, yeah. Even before that, you, were doing, you started doing some cover work for Marvel? Annie asked me to do some cover work, yeah. So, so I didn't do a ton of covers, but I did a few, yeah. Yeah, Marvel Fanfare, Marvel yeah. Team-Up, Micronauts, Defenders. Yeah. Uh, so right. was it Anne who reached out to you first to get you started at Marvel? Yes. Yes, it was. Uh, she, I'd sent in samples of my work, and uh, everyone at Marvel and DC said, thanks, kid, you know, maybe someday. But fortunately, Annie had asked absolutely everyone who could hold a pencil if they would draw a long shot. And they'd all said no, because long shot, if I don't know if you've read the comic book long shot, but long shot, his superpower is that he's lucky. And uh, most people don't know how to draw that. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't either, but uh, I still said yes. Because if, if, uh, if anyone had called and said, would you like to draw Barbie or G.I. Joe, I would have said yes to anything. So she asked you to do Longshot. Did you come up with the character designs? Because for me, we I have did. you know Longshot and Spiral and Mojo are some of like these really cool, iconic yes. characters, especially you, Greg, from video games. Yep. You know, Spiral had such a... a, a, a an impact for the Capcom games. Totally, exactly. Um, and so those characters, you, you came in with those designs? I did, I did. When, uh, when Annie had uh, described the characters, I decided I would decide what the aliens looked like. So I drew a, th a sheet of about 20 different aliens, and then Annie said, well, let's, let's just use them all. I was like, well, no, I want one of them to be like the main <laughs> alien. Just pick one. Like, no, no, we'll just use them all. And, and Spiral was one of those. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I designed Spiral first. Annie made up her character. And then she came up with the character of Mojo, and I just I designed him. Yeah. Did you go through iterations? Because Mojo is a wild-looking character. You don't know much. what Mojo I mean, looks like. I mean, it's Annie, so she's 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 awesome. I love her, but she's out of her mind. <laughs> so, so the boss aliens of this planet are called the spineless ones, and they're literally they're supposed to have no spinal cord. How that works, I don't know. <laughs> so, so are you reading the description? Like, how am I going to draw this? Oh. I guess I'm drawing a flabby guy. <laughs> I love that series. I reread it uh, as we were leading into this one. It's a lot of fun. It, it is fun. Uh, you know, we talked to a lot of creators on this week at Marvel. You know, at Marvel uh, current X Men writer Jonathan Hickman. He was citing your your work with Chris Claremont on the um, the New Mutants X Men as Guardian story. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if you've read as Guardian Wars. It's really cool. It's These two like sixty page mammoth issues. And it opens, the first one, I think the first part is in New Mutants. It is. And it opens with this beautiful page. Like, the detail that goes to that page, how long does that page take? I lived at home. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it took as long as it needed to take. Yeah. And it is a yeah. massive cast of characters, it is. too. It was a lot. So I, I think back then I was probably drawing two-thirds 
of a page to a page a day in that area. That's a lot, though. That's was, very fast. I wish I could do that now. I can't. <laughs> I, I, most artists can't do that. That's a that's a, a good click. I think I'm one of the people responsible for ruining modern comics. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're welcome. Uh, you know, in that that story, though, there's a lot of pop culture references that there you know, are I go that I think we could never get away with now. Like, at one point, Warlock. If you guys don't know who Warlock is, a techno organic alien. He's one of the new mutants, but he changes his shape. He does all this weird stuff. He's Gumby. At just randomly Gumby at one point. Uh, the, the well, he's standing next to a horse with a tall mane. It makes sense <laughs> to yeah, somebody, actually. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, Read between the lines, Ryan. <laughs> I, another point, he's, he is the USS Enterprise. He is, yes. It's wild. Was that you? Was that Annie? Like, or were we just riffing Well, this together? is working with Chris. Oh, I'm sorry, um, yes, with Chris. And no, that was me. That was... That was <laughs> That was amazing because that is more than a hundred pages of story, and it's full of me ripping off stuff all over the place. <laughs> Popeye shows up in various forms of it. I think they have a bit where I draw him as kind of a normal guy, like a kind of a, a humanized version of Popeye. But then I just have straight up Popeye and Bluto show up later in the story. You're like, if I bury this so many pages in, no one, no lawyer will ever there's see it. So <laughs> much in it. Marvel lawyers finally said, "No, you can't have in." I think I. I think Warlock turned into Hagar the Horrible, and he might have been standing next to the regular Hagar the Horrible <laughs> in Asgard. No, you can't do that one. That one you have to have to pass on that. There's also a lot of redesigns in that book. A lot of character looks, oh, sure, like yeah. the Asgardian looks for all those characters. Uh, when you are thinking about that, do you have a particular process for character redesigns? Do you like do model sheets or turnarounds or anything like that, or you just kind of? I go know for there's it? one care. I think Colossus's new costume in that. I was I was visiting Mike Mignola's apartment, and he had a design for a character, and I stole that from him. <laughs> he was a little mad about that for a while. Deal with it, Mike. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Mr. Mignola. Um, there was some characters that their, their costumes were supposed to have been stolen from an Asgardian uh, house of ill repute. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Chris Claremont. <laughs> um, so so there, was, there was a lot of weird, fun stuff in there. Yeah. You know, we're celebrating Marvel's 80th anniversary this year. Uh, as a 19-year-old, you know, 19, 20, 21-year-old at the time working at Marvel, what was it like? What was Marvel like back in, in, in the you know, mid-late 80s? Well, back, back in the olden days, um, Marvel was great. You could just go out and go there and hang out and sit around and draw. I would sit in the offices. I would sit in Annie and Wheezy's office. Wheezy is Louise Simonson? Louise Simonson, yes. For hours, and I would just sit there quietly and draw. Eventually, they would forget I was there. So that was fun. And then just, it was just really neat being there, seeing the bullpen where there's people working on pages, working on mostly correcting pages or putting in lettering and all that, doing all the production stuff. I don't know how much of that happens at Marvel now. I've not been able to, I've not visited the Marvel offices in, in decades. Ryan, please come by. Invite him yeah, over. I would, I would love to. Arthur, please come by. I would love to. Anytime you like. Please. Uh, as long as I'm there, yeah. uh, I'll give you the tour. You Otherwise, security there. will drag you from the premise. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, we used to, when I started, uh, we had a gentleman uh, who went by the name Scummy. Pon, uh, you know, like, he was great. He yeah. would do touch-ups. He had a, a drawing board. and, and the, you know, the guy who did a lot, one of the guys who did touch-ups when I was visiting was named Squid. So It's just yeah. the way it goes. Yeah. Uh, but we used to have that. We don't have any in-house artists or touch-up no. people. We do have amazing design teams, and, and there are artists who can help out, especially as we're cleaning up. You know, we do a lot of older w- books that we bring into digital and stuff like that. And I watch them, like, 
fixing some of the colors or, or sure. twe tweaking stuff that we don't have. It's not like we have great digital files. We're scanning no, things from... I know from, a lot of stuff is printed from old comics. Yeah, yeah. and so they, they do some amazing work right yeah. now. All right, I got to talk about X-Babies because yeah. I love me you some x You don't have to, but you can. I have to. No, <laughs> like, it's in my contract. I had to talk about X-Babies. Uh, Uncanny X-Men number tw uh, annual number 12, Excalibur, Mojo, Mayhem. How and why and thank you. <laughs> Chris Claremont called me up. I'd finally moved away from home. So I was in an apartment. He called me and said, Arthur, I have an idea. I have an idea. We're going to make lots of money on this idea. Like, All right, Chris, let's hear it. X-Babies. Like, what? <laughs> I want you to draw X-Babies in an upcoming X-Men annual. We're going to make lots of money. He's like, Chris, it's the X-Men. How are we going to make money? <laughs> I mean, we'll get paid what we get paid, but are we going to get extra money for X-Babies? Yeah, I'm sure there'll be tons of merchandise. Of course, there's never been any meaningful X-Baby, which there probably should be by yeah. now, really. Yeah. To be fair. So it, for, for our listeners and for our fans here, the X-Babies are created by Mojo uh, because he is looking to capitalize on the craze of the X-Men that's going on. And so he goes through a series of he other does. alternate designs. Because the X-Men have disappeared, so he needs replacement X-Men. Yes. Yeah, this is when they were uh, off in Australia, I believe. Yes, they were in Australia. So I think he has, like, there's robot X-Men. Yeah, there's you, cute animal X-Men. Cute animal X-Men, yeah. the mecha like X-Men. Wolverine. Wolverine was, a, like, a bulldog. Yeah. So. And these are all, I think there's, like, three series of designs on one page. You just go Possibly, through them. Yeah. Like, this could have been a whole story here. And it was. There it was. was just a short story. <laughs> <laughs> Son of a gun. Uh, there's also the. Um, I don't. Mm, they, there's a, a, a more adult. Skewing. There's a naughty. There's kind of a naughty group of X Men. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, now it's let's a, talk more about them. <laughs> <laughs> Is that in the red folder of art? Let's see them. It's not in this one. No, 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 we'll we'll cool. get to the red folder of art in a minute. Uh, I do want to talk about one of my favorite uh, all-time Marvel stories, uh, which is New Fantastic Four. Mm. That is uh, written by Walter Simonson. It is. Uh, drawn by you. That's Fantastic Four 347 through 349. Uh, it was released right at the end of 1990. And uh, it's got scrolls. It's got giant monsters. It does. It's got Hulk, Wolverine, Spider-Man, and Ghost Rider as the Fantastic Four. Hell yes. And uh, how did that come together? Because to me, that's that was, I remember buying, we didn't do trade paperbacks at the time no. very often. That I bought one of the that. early ones, yeah. That's, that's what I bought. And that's how, that got me hooked yeah. on, on a bunch of different things. Yeah, and it was three issues. I think every other trade paperback had been at least a, a bigger number than three issues. So that was kind of a weird one. It's funny from the very beginning, Walter called up and said, I'm late on my deadlines. Can you help? <laughs> I have a terrible reputation for deadlines, so <laughs> me, it was like, that's crazy, but sure, I'd love to work with you. Um, Walter was doing a great job on the Fantastic Four, and I was thrilled to be able to help him out a little bit. And so he asked me to do, he asked me to do, the, do uh, three fill-in issues, and uh, his idea was he'd gone to the Marvel marketing department and asked who were the four most popular characters, and that was Wolverine, Ghost Rider, uh, Spider-Man, and The Punisher. I was like, I don't really want to draw the Punisher. I don't, I don't, I like Punisher as a villain. I don't like him as a hero, and I don't, can't really see him on a team. But I really like, I really liked what uh, Peter David and I can't remember the artist on the book at the time now. But what they were doing with uh, with the Hulk, I really liked what they were doing. So let's let's use the Hulk. He's all oh, that's that's a good idea. That'll actually work better for the story. Then what do you want to draw from Fantastic Four history? And then I named everything in Fantastic Four history. He said, <laughs> okay, I'll put that in. <laughs> That's why the Submariner's in it briefly, yep. and there's that's why there's monsters and scrolls, and the Mole Man, and and everything. Yeah, it's it's like everything in the kitchen sink. It's it, so it, fun. It, he actually asked. I think on the cover of one it says, including the kitchen sink, 
And in that issue, there is no kitchen sink. So he, Walter did specifically ask me, I think it's in the third issue, to draw in a kitchen sink somewhere in the background. Amazing. <laughs> now, we have a new two-page sequence with you that you drew for a uh, current idea. series, Spider-Verse. I think it comes out next week. I read comics in a weird order. Uh, so I, like, I read stuff m weeks early just for, for the purposes of doing my jobs. And, uh, sure, yeah, just for doing your job. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. uh, you want to know how, out of the closet. You want to know how Powers of Ten ends? Like, I will ruin it for Don't everyone. you do that. Uh, but it, it's beautiful sequence. It's you drawing with Federico Blee, coloring. It is gorgeous stuff. It uh, has my favorite new spider character. There is a new one, yes. Spider Monster. I think I'm keeping those pages because I bet that'll be the most popular character ever. Yeah. <laughs> Audio listeners, he's shaking his head now. Oh. <laughs> Thank you, Greg. So usually my shaking my head is audible, so there's something wrong with this mic. Uh, you brought some art. You, I did. You, you said we could show off. Oh, where did it go? Oh, here it is. Judy was so kind as to bring that art up. Well, round of applause for Judy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so should we show an X thing first or a spider sure, thing Sure, X first? thing first. Right. Yeah, this was un... Uh, I didn't ask for this. Arthur just came in with some of his original art, which... Uh, for those of you who don't know, many of Marvel Comics artists now draw digitally. That is true. Uh, and so uh, I get like this joy inside me when I see original pages because it's it's rare these sure, days. Sure. Even, you know, I walk around the offices and talk to folks and they don't have it. Oh, God. Oh, dear. So this one actually was done pretty quickly for, uh, you know what this is more than I do. Yeah, this is for New York Comic Con. This, yeah. uh, it, it may be the program for the, the convention booklet or it may be uh, a, a variant cover for House of X or Powers of Ten. I'm not sure. I've seen it a bunch of times in the office. Yeah. But, like, this is the original art that you, yeah. you drew this recently. There's that. And then uh, there's this other. For, art, for the audience listening, this piece has the, the, the Statue of Liberty. It has the X-Men team and these um, iconic uh, costumes. It looks incredible. For anybody who is here who doesn't under know what the, uh, the blue art is, yes. can you explain that part of the process, please? Thank you. <laughs> um, so I will uh, use a blue pencil to start out a lot of my drawings. Um, it's just what I've been doing since early on. It's using a, a pencil called non-photo blue. What do you think happens with the non-photo blue pencil? You can't take a photo of it? Exactly. It's <laughs> invisible. It doesn't exist. So, yeah, I just used the blue because it, it used to help with uh, production. Nowadays, with modern scanners, it really doesn't make any difference. It's really just what I like to use now. Thank you for being here. Now, does anybody have a question for Arthur? Uh, anybody here in the room? Speak now or forever hold your peace. Forever, like totally forever. Yeah, seriously. Yes. Hi, right, what's your name? Greg. Greg, what, what question do you have for Mr. Arthur Adams? Uh, I'm wondering, what's your favorite character of all time to draw? Ooh. Arthur, the question is, what is your favorite character of all time to draw? I say this so that the listeners can... Uh, uh, X-Babies. <laughs> yeah! You're going to be rich, Arthur, I'll tell you what. Money, 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 money! <laughs> Uh, I like that one. Uh, Greg, please take a toy of your choice uh, from the front. What? That's how easy it is. Nice. Oh. Can I ask a question? And now I won't take a toy. I won't take a toy, I swear. I mean, you can have a toy. Yeah. Arthur, my question for you is, uh, when I was out here, obviously I'm familiar with your work. I'm going through, I, I went on Wikipedia. What does it feel like to have, I didn't realize this was you. What does it feel like to have drawn like the Wolverine standee? That's on your and like as soon as you, if you ha, if you haven't gone to his Wikipedia page, check it out. Obviously, you should know his art by now. But like when you go there, it's the 
yellow and brown Wolvie that was, I mean, I remember that in every comic shop I grew up So you're in. asking how it feels? Yes. That's well, I iconic. wake up every morning, uh, <laughs> I drew that standee. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know, though? I mean, like, it's so iconic. I, I honestly feel like so as it was it, in every shop One of the ever. funny things about having done this as long as I have. See, when, when I got into comic so so uh, the way I see other comic book creators is if someone got into comics five minutes before I did, they're wise, they know how the world works, <laughs> they're geniuses. They got into comics five minutes after I did, they'll never know how anything works. They're just <laughs> sad individuals and, you know, best of luck to them. So it occurred to me, as I said, I had been doing this for so long now, um, that when I drew that standee is closer to when Stan Lee and Jack Kirby made up the X-Men than when I drew that standee to now is. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, question over there. Uh, I love all your stuff, but is there something artistically that you're like, man, I wish I could have drawn that one better? Oh, sure. That's, that's most of my career. That's <laughs> most. So the question for our, our audio listeners uh, was, do you have any, you know? Oh, yes. Uh, regrets and Re favorites. Regrets and favorites. And uh, yes and yes. It's silly. It sounds silly, but I mean, I look at that standee now. I go, "What was I thinking on those ankles? I don't know what it was. <laughs> they look. They look insane. They're so thin and and silly." And then I was t I was uh, talking to some comic book art collectors just a few days ago who were going on about my really elongated figures. I was like, I had no idea. I was drawing weirdly elongated figures at the time. I was just drawing the best I could. <laughs> so even now, so I, I I see there's a weird evolution. Over time, when I and I, it, to my mind and my eye, it looks like it's like the best I can do. Um, but then I see some things, and they're like, "That's really weird looking." I don't know what I was thinking about. Like most of the '90s books I did, I was drawing faces that were too big for the heads. So there's a lot of really weird faces in some of my '90s work, like in the Creature from the Black Lagoon book I did, and I think one of the later X-Men annuals. There's some, or yeah, with like the last X-Men annual. With a with a lot of the Fantastic Four, they're just they're just bizarre looking, <laughs> to me. I don't really have a favorite. I really like the Gumby comics that I did. <laughs> they're, they're, um, they're great. They're they're honestly they're awesome. They they they're mostly lacking human faces, so that helps a lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Judy, can you help that uh, gentleman get a toy from up front? And we'll take one more question for Arthur. I thought you you had your hand up in the front. So th uh, the I've, question is, uh, do you always draw on such massive size paper because your Spider-Verse uh, variants are gigantic? What's, what's the size on that? That one, when it's done, will be about 24 by 35. 24 inches by 35 inches. And, and then how do you scan that? So um, I used the standard comic book pages now or are 10 by 15. I realized when I was working on covers that I would draw a figure that I liked and it was too big for the 10 by 15 space. And so for about two decades, I would erase that figure and draw it again until I got it to fit. I just realized I was drawing bigger because I just wanted to like to be really like powerful and big. So eventually I realized, hey, I could just draw a 10 by 15 border on a really big piece of paper, <laughs> try to draw it in there, and if it doesn't fit, I could just make the borders move instead of erasing the whole thing. So that's how that evolved. <laughs> 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 Through slow 
uh, realization that they made bigger paper than, than, <laughs> than, than 11 by 17. And as for scanning it, um, we at home have a, it sounds really cool to say we have a medical scanner. And we do. Ooh. But that just means it's 11 by 17. <laughs> <laughs> we just have a big scanner. Yeah, it's just a larger size scanner. And Photoshop does a auto merge. Like I did one piece for Marvel years ago for connecting covers for Original Sin. And that original piece of artwork was about 30 inches by 40 inches. Wow. And so that was just scanned in very carefully in chunks. And, and, uh, and then, I mean, my wife does this all for me. That's one of the reasons she's not here right now. <laughs> she was afraid of that question. <laughs> um, she does that all for me, fortunately, because I, I like the computer, but I don't know how to make it go. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, thank you for that question. Please have a toy. Uh, everybody, give it up for Arthur Adams. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank Arthur. You. Thank you. You're amazing. Thank you so much for being here. So I have to go now? Uh, you can hang out, but we've got other people, other sections of the show. Oh, all right. <laughs> There's seats. Thanks, There's in paper and pencils back there. You can just draw. It can be like the old days. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Uh, one more time Thanks for Arthur Adams. <laughs> I want to shift gears just a little bit. I want to change it up and do uh, This Week in Marvel History, which, uh, as I explained, is where we celebrate 80 years of history. I look at all different things. And we have this big database that uh, a lot of our team back in New York and in California, we put together to just, we look at first appearances, we look at movie releases, we look at all kinds of stuff, put it all together. And so that's what I call from. And I, I read pretty much every comic that we talk about. I, I read, reread them to make sure that my details are right and all this stuff. It's a lot. It's fun, though. It's really cool. But uh, Greg and I, we can't do this alone. We wanted to bring on uh, Andrew Farrago, who is the uh, curator here at Cartoon Art Museum. Give it up for Andrew. Hello. Hello. Uh, Andrew, you've curated over 100 exhibits during your time here? Something like that, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, do you have favorites that are uh, Marvel? <laughs> Only Marvel? You know, my, I'd say my two favorite Marvel shows were solo artist spotlights. So last summer we did a Jim Starlin spotlight. Uh, incredible show. We, we got some great Warlock, Captain Marvel, Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah. Absolute classic. Does he still stuff. own those? Or did you have uh, like outside? He, he let them go cheap. Yeah. <laughs> Not long ago. But there's yeah, a, there's this was, Marvel yeah. exhibit that's, that was in Seattle and then in Philadelphia, and it had some of his, like, an original Thanos uh, Gosh, Captain Marvel you page. You could see, like, the paste-ups and everything, and, like, you know, some other pieces of his. And just looking at that, I'm like, oh, these are magicians doing magic. <laughs> yeah, great stuff. And we also did, um, yeah, about 10 years ago, the I'd, I'd say the definitive Gene Cullen Oh, exhibition. Yeah, so uh, here at the Cartoon Art Museum, there's a book, yes, right? Yes, yes. And so that was uh, at our previous location. We put together, uh, working with Glenn David Gold, an amazing author, amazing, uh, very dedicated collector. He knew where everything was. So he knew all the collectors. We got the Iron Man number one cover. We got some classic Daredevil covers. We got Howard the Duck. Uh, and we, we brought Gene out himself. Absolutely. One of my favorite nights ever working at the museum is we did a testimonial for Gene. We gave him our Lifetime Achievement Award, the yeah. Sparky Award. Um, so um, students of his, people who'd worked with him, uh, Joe Rubenstein, um, Steve Englehart, people came out, Amazing. gave speeches. Uh, and Stan Lee recorded a video 
tribute to him that we played that night. So it was just uh, that's great. Yeah, just a great night. One of my favorite nights. Uh, Gene's um, birthday fell into the last like month or two, where I was putting together this week of Marvel history, and I then was like, okay, what was his first Marvel work? Okay, what was his last Marvel work? He was sixty years working for Marvel. 60 years drawing for Marvel. His last was like Captain America 600 wow. uh, in 2008. Uh, it is, you know, his first was in 1948. It's yeah. amazing. What a career. If, if you get a chance, uh, you're here at the museum, pick up a copy of the book. If you are a listener, find it. It's amazing. Yeah. Gene Colon is incredible. Yeah, he, he never lost a step. Like, no. I, I, I loved his, I love his later work as much as his, his peak Marvel work. Yeah. All right. So we uh, we're going to talk about this week in Marvel history. We're looking at the week of September 27th through October, 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 <laughs> October 3rd across many, many years. Uh, and so I'll start things off. And, and, you know, Andrew, please, if you have anything you want to sure. chime in uh, first, September 28th, 1950, the Texas Kid debuts in Texas Kid number one. But. This is a different Texas kid from the Texas kid who was around in the timely comics of the 40s, but he has the same name, Lance Temple, as Outlaw Kid, as well as a similar origin as the Outlaw Kid. This is comic books 101. It's wild. I love when I, I'm like, wait, what is, it's not the same character, but it is the same character, but it's not the same character. Texas kid. And nobody got offended. <laughs> yeah. No, no. In the 40s and 50s, they were just like, give me more comics. Yeah, exactly. Ah, September 28th, 1961, Stan Lee, Larry Lieber, and Jack Kirby introduce scientist Henry Pym and his incredible shrinking and growing portions in Tales to Astonish number 27. Plug! All right, fine. Uh, still on September 28th, 1961, over in Fantastic Four number two, Stan and Jack introduce the shape-shifting menace of the Skrulls. The Skrulls muck around with the Fantastic Four's lives for a bit, but are eventually beaten. Spoiler alert, as punishment for their crimes, Reed tells the Skrulls to turn into cows, then hypnotizes them so they live their lives as peaceful cows. Double spoiler alert, those Skrull cows would later be turned into food. What the hell? I love it so much. The last panels of that issue are them just, like, one of the cows just goes, moo. And, like, Reed has hypnotizing powers at the end of the issue because... And he's just like... Justice served. <laughs> yeah, yeah they, they had done a whole bunch of bad stuff. Uh, and they, we picked up on that thread in like the late 80s for a book called Scroll Kill Crew, where we people had eaten the cows and got weird powers and stuff because that's how science works. Of course. Those, of those course. cows came back in the Cree Scroll War in the, yeah, uh, in the uh, 70s, too. So this, yeah. is, this, is a, this is a major cow event cow justice please this set back our scroll relations for generations <laughs> that's why they tried to invade uh, all right october 1st 1963 stronger than a dozen men more dangerous than any mere mortal the mysterious mr hyde debuts in journey into mystery number 99 by stanley and don heck uh, hyde aka calvin zabo was just literally reading the book he's just a fan of the original robert louis stevenson jekyll and hyde story he's like can I do this? I think I can. And he makes his own potions and it works because comics. It's so great. <laughs> you know, part of it is also Stanley loved literature. So he yeah. would find ways to, you know, play with uh, classic stories and stuff like this. So, uh, you know, he just turns into Mr. Hyde. It's really fun. Who reads Jacqueline Hyde? I was like, mm, that's what I want. 
<laughs> Sign me up for that. Calvin Zabo. <laughs> Apparently. That's the guy. October 1st, 1964, The Matador debuts in Daredevil number 5 by Stan Lee and Wally Wood. It's Wood's first Daredevil issue, and it's gorgeous. Yeah, it- I put this on here not because the Matador really has any place in Marvel history. He's, he's <laughs> relatively minor, but Wally Wood is wow. Yeah, wow, and beautiful stuff. Stan knew that was a big deal. They announced Wally Wood's arrival on the cover, and I yeah. think that's the that might be the first. That's one of the first times in comics that's ever happened. Yeah, they, they knew. Pick this up. This yeah, is, this is a major, this is a name right, that comic. people are going to notice. Yeah. Uh, still October first, nineteen sixty four. Over. In the Hulk story and Tales to Astonish number 63 by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko, we get to see the leader in full for the first time and get his origin story. You got a big forehead. Kirk. Oh, yeah. I'm like, a, oh, I know. <laughs> I know the leader's forehead. I'm well the leader. these parts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, October 3rd, 1967, Whiplash and Big M are introduced in the Iron Man story by Stan Lee and Gene Colan in Tales of Suspense number 97. Whiplash, he, he whips stuff, you guys. That's his deal. Uh, and of course, you all know Big M, right? Everybody knows Big M, head of the Magia Crime Syndicate. No? Maybe you know her better as Madame Mask. Oh, Mask wow. remains a major villainous force uh, in the Marvel Universe, uh, but she was first introduced as the shadowy Big M in this issue. You don't actually see that, like, anything of her. You can't tell if it's a man or a woman or anything for quite a while, but it was, it was cool. Madame Mask, she's yeah. a big deal. Should have kept Big M. Sounds right? like a truck driver. Yeah. <laughs> October 3rd, 1972. Moondragon, member of the Guardians of the Galaxy and Infinity Watch and daughter of Drax, debuts in Iron Man number 54 by Mike Frederick and, Friedrich. Friedrich, sorry, and George Tuska. Well, she calls herself Madame McEvil and takes over Tony's armor, forcing him to fight Namor. Uh, she created a computer and it called her Madame McEvil, but her Moondragon name is revealed in Daredevil number 105 in July 1973 along with her origin and connection to Thanos. Yeah. And for a time, Daredevil gets re- weird and cosmic. And, like, he's he's making out with Moondragon. Hell and, yeah. And, like, there's these weird panels of Thanos. He's got, like, this, like, hamburger face. It's really great. Uh, but Madame McEvil is a bonkers name, and I am so glad that's part of our history. Well, <laughs> Mike, Mike Friedrich lives over in Oakland. So oh, cool. Really? We'll give a Bay Area shout-out to him. Nice. <laughs> Very cool. September 28th, 1976, Howard the Duck begins to run for president in Howard the Duck number seven by Steve Gerber and Gene Colan. Again, Gene Colan. Gentleman, Gene. Uh, next issue is the big Howard for Prez issue, but it kicks off right at the end of this one. If you guys have never read that Howard the Duck run from the seven, like there's two runs, but like the, the 70s run, please, please, please give it a read. It is as cool and weird and like making you like dig deep into the 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 dialogue and the copy and it does some weird fun stuff uh, and it, you know what Greg let me take a swing at this it's on Marvel Unlimited you got it buddy <laughs> there you go everybody September 28th 1989 the new warriors Nova Marvel Boy Nomorita or no Namorita uh, Night Thrasher Firestar and Speedball gather for the first time to help Thor battle the juggernaut in Thor number 411 by Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends uh, the new warriors would get their own title some months later in May of 1990 I love these characters are fun. I was just talking about this with Matthew Rosenberg, who's going to join us on the stage in a little bit. Uh, so Richard Ryder was Nova. I think a lot of people know Nova. I've heard about him. 
it, the, the, they sh the first time we see them in this issue, he's on his computer basically like chatting with like on a BBS board, a bulletin board. <laughs> it's just so what is happening? And like Night Thrasher is this rich dude. and He's just like working out, walking around in a towel, just sweating. It's great comics. It's <laughs> Acts of Vengeance, one of my all-time yes. favorite Marvel crossovers. Me too. It has uh, it has uh, the Captain America issue of Acts of Vengeance will remain one of my favorite comics. Uh, it's Magneto going to take over to take on Captain America, but Red Skull shows up, and Magneto's like, "Oh, I don't care about Captain America, Nazi. You and me are going to have words." Hell and yeah. he just takes it to Red Skull. Makes me so happy. <laughs> I love it. Uh, September 28th, 1991, Power Pack makes their TV debut as a Saturday morning special on Fox. Honestly, pretty solid, you guys. It's, it's really pretty good. Definitely of the time in a number of ways. Uh, the kids act a lot, uh, but it's got some fun, creepy elements and uh, neat ways the Power Kids use their abilities. Uh, they tweak some of their abilities a little bit from the comics. I actually, it was a, a little bummed that it never turned into an actual series or we got more out of it. It had a lot of potential, but a fun tidbit, uh, Jack Power, the youngest of the boys of the, um, the crew, he, uh, he has some comics in one of his drawers and he opens up the drawer and there's a shot of him looking in the drawer and in that drawer is a comic, Fantastic Four 348, with art by our guest from tonight, Arthur Adams. Hey! And, and I, I'm reading, I'm watching the thing, and I go, wait a minute. This is, this is so weird. I watched it just this past week, and I was like, that's, and I, I could tell what the issue is. You only saw the bottom corner of it, but I <laughs> have those issues ingrained in my brain from, a child, from childhood. So it was really cool. And you, this is your copy, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Brought my own copy. Oh, wow. Look at you. Uh, was a proud Fantastic Four subscriber. <laughs> in the late 80s, early 90s, so this came right to my door. Yeah. Uh, Walt Simonson, it's, I think it's the most underrated, some of the most underrated comics ever, the, his Fantastic Four. Just, I love that series to death. I love the Art Adams three-issue series, Blue My Brain. Can't, can't say enough nice <laughs> it's stuff so about good. that. Right? I remember this. Yeah. You're talking about the trade. I had the yeah. trade. Too. Yeah, I remember right? That. Yeah. You, yeah. How could you not? Red cover. Like, yeah. I, I remember the bookstore <laughs> I picked it up in. It's the best. Yeah. Uh, September 30th, 1998, the fourth Marvel Knights title launches Inhumans number one by Paul Jenkins and Jay Lee. It's a socio-political reintroduction to the Inhumans mm -hmm. from the royal family down to the lower classes and the divides and conflicts around all of that. Plus, <laughs> Jay Lee's artwork shreds. Right? Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> it's, a, it's a beautiful series. Uh, September 29th, 1999. Daredevil number nine by David Mack, Joe Casada, Jimmy Palmiotti, and crew introduces Maya Lopez, a.k.a. Echo. She has the power to recreate any complex physical action that her eyes record. Uh, she's also deaf. So uh, think of her as having the abilities of Taskmaster, if you know the Taskmaster character, if you're not familiar with her. Uh, she's employed by Wilson Fisk in this story to work an angle on Matt Murdock. It's a great story. Some of the most stunning artwork. Rereading this, I was like, oh, gosh. There's this page where Joe... Uh, Casada draws, it's all in puzzle pieces. And the way he frames every panel, uh, it, it's magical stuff. Again, it's on Marvel Unlimited. It is beautiful. Well worth your time. <laughs> yeah, 100%. The weight, the weight between those issues was so excruciating. So, <laughs> but, you know, so worth it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think about that a lot. You know, like if we have delays in comics and stuff like that, but in five years, 10 years' time, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Those stories. When they're all, when we have them all fully finished and collected and reread them, we you forget about the weight and just remember like this is beautiful art. October third, two thousand nine. Ryan got married to his amazing wife Elizabeth. 
Happy 10th anniversary, Elizabeth, when Ryan said, quote, I do. There was a loud crash of thunder as if Thor himself was blessing the ceremony. Oh, yeah. I forgot I put this in the notes. Yeah, we didn't count <laughs> off well enough. That was, that was in first person originally. There's a photo of me like, like with my mouth wide open because truly – it was a loud crash of thunder when I said I do. And someone was like, Thor said, yeah, it's good. <laughs> it was great. It was really fun. Uh, September 30th, 2018, Marvel Rising Secret Warriors debuted on the Disney Channel and Disney XD. It is the animated movie featuring Ms. Marvel, Squirrel Girl, Patriot, America Chavez, and Inferno coming together to fight Hala the Accuser, who's played by Ming-Na Wen. It also features Captain Marvel, Lockjaw, bunch of fun. You can watch it now on the Marvel HQ YouTube channel for free. It's a lot of fun. It's really cool. That's a great okay. cast. <laughs> that is This Week in Marvel History. I've been doing this all year long. Uh, there's a record of them. There's, we do articles. So if you want to see what happened across time, it's there on Marvel.com. Is that where the hyperlinks are to go to Marvel Unlimited 2 and read the issues? Yeah, we actually put them in there. Nice. Yeah, shout out to Jamie on the, the editorial team for making that happen. Cool. Andrew, what else you got? Any hype for future Marvel stuff happening here? Uh, you know, there's always stuff in the works. I was just talking to Art. Uh, yeah. Adam's about what's in his collection, so maybe we'll see. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah. Please let us know. We'll, we'll, we'll help share the news if something comes together. Great. Absolutely. Uh, give it up for Andrew. <laughs> All right. So, Greg, we got to go back because I want to talk about San Francisco. <laughs> okay. Uh, for our big talk. Sure. Uh, to do that, we need San Francisco native Matthew Rosenberg to come all the way from the back of the room. He's da -da -da, drinking a milkshake. A milkshake from next door. Yeah. Well, I think it's a sh Yeah, exactly. Here to the square. Come on now. You got to get it. You're right here. <laughs> so I lied. Matthew is not from San Francisco at all. No, I've been here for 20 Hours. Yeah. Boo! <laughs> yeah. It's great. It's a great city, everyone. Congratulations. Uh, Matt, what you working on right now? Right now, I write The Punisher. Woo! Uh, I just finished writing Uncanny X-Men. Uh, I'm writing Star Wars Fallen Order Dark Temple. It's got a long title that changed a bunch of times, but that is <laughs> currently what the title is, and the second issue just came out. Greg, that is a, a book that ties into the upcoming Star Wars games. Jedi yes. Fallen Order from EA and Respawn. They yes. put out a trailer today. It looks great. Ooh, They did put out a trailer today. It does look great. Um, and then I'm lurking on a bunch of top secret stuff that I can't talk about. You can oh, wait, no, I'm not person. working on something that we can talk about. I forgot that. Uh, I am spearheading the uh, November-December Annihilation event, the big cosmic... Ooh craziness and it's me and Dan Abnett's writing and Christos Gage is writing and Mike Morisi on his first Marvel book but he's a great writer is and it's awesome no, uh, Gentleman Nova <coughs> is in that I believe uh, there are a few people uh, there that people might have heard of there is a gentleman named the Silver Surfer there is a gentleman named Beta Ray Bill there are people named the Fantastic Four and there is a gentleman named Nova. Nice. Yes. Uh, Richard Ryder Nova. For now, those people who are keep asking me on Twitter, which Nova, it is Richard Ryder. That, that's a hot topic. It is. Uh, where do you come down on Silver Surfer? Pe like shorts or no shorts? No, no shorts. No, no shorts. No He's shorts. naked and silver. Arthur, what about you? Shorts or no shorts? Shorts. Oh. <laughs> wow. We're, we're I'll, I'll be honest. I feel definitely wrong now. I feel like I definitely not <laughs> sounding correctly. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the way he was drawn to begin with was shorts. Well, yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Matt. 
Yeah, we gotta no. get, we gotta let you go. Okay, <laughs> we'll just edit it so I said shorts. Oh, shorts. Just cut it when I say no shorts. Just cut out the no. So I just say shorts. This isn't live, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, we gotta go. Uh, all right. So uh, almost every week on this week in Marvel, we do a quote unquote big talk. It's a medium to deep size dive into a topic or story, or character across Marvel history. So knowing we would be here for the live episode in San Francisco, and since I've not done any location-based stuff yet for uh, our big talks, I thought this would be a perfect opportunity to big talk San Francisco. And of all the real-world, non-New York City locations um, in the Marvel Universe, San Francisco has really cool connections. Rich so, history. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's it, all over the place. It, it, this is probably not everything. So if we missed something, let me know. I have uh, copies of Uncanny X-Men signed by Matthew Rosenberg. Uh, we'll give you those uh, if you can add one to the list or if you just want to ask a question when we're through with this for, for Mr. Rosenberg. Sound good? Sounds great. All right. Uh, let's start way back with a time, uh, Timely Comics era comic. Does everybody know what Timely Comics is? It was the, the name of, of Marvel way back when, when we first started. It was Timely, then Atlas, then Marvel. Uh, we'll go back to Kid Colt Outlaw number three from 1948. Kid Colt, one of Marvel's greatest Wild West gunslinger heroes. Uh, he tracks down two murder no good nicks. Uh, they are Snake Crosby and Bossin, B-O-S apostrophe N. Uh, classic San Francisco names, I'm sure. Of course. Uh, we remember them well here. <laughs> yep. Uh, he tracks them down to San Francisco, bringing one to justice and putting the other one in the ground. Ooh. Which is which? Uh, he kills Boston, I believe. I didn't actually think you were going to answer that. You're not, that's, you spoiled it. <laughs> it's like four-page comic. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there are plenty this. of other Marvel stories published in the 40s that connect to San Francisco including Captain America and Bucky thwarting uh, an assassin or stopping some criminal forces that are expanding into the city. I believe those uh, one of those is on Unlimited. Uh, Namor stopping multiple Axis-led World War II assaults on San Fran. Those are in Marvel Mystery Comics, I believe. Uh, some of those may be on Marvel Unlimited. It's Shout out to Namor. Yeah. Yeah, right? Protecting Love the coast. Namor. We need him. He <laughs> is the best. He's my favorite. Uh, if you ever get a chance, read those 1940s Namor stories. They are mwah, wonderful. There's one story, one of his early stories. He, it's a, an early crossover of Marvels. Human Torch, Namor, uh, they had this great idea to cross them over. And so Namor is just messing up stuff around the city. I don't remember what city it is in. Uh, and Human Torch is following them. And it's, they, you, know, you, you watch Namor do all this stuff. At one point, Namor goes to a zoo and causes a bunch of chaos, lets a bunch of animals out. Elephant starts rampaging through the zoo. A woman her, is pushing a carriage. The carriage spills over. Baby falls out of the carriage. She keeps running. Namor stops. And he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> Namor, villain, picks up the baby, flies the baby to like a place where people are watching and screaming. And he's like, here, take this. Uh, and they're like, ah, ah. And he's like, ugh, disgusting humans. And he flies off. He saves a baby. Namor's the best. <laughs> he kind of kidnaps it. I mean, the mom left his shirt, but he could have caught up to her, I feel like. He's the hero. What's okay. The, what's the Human Torch doing? Human Torch is basically following. He's like two he, steps behind He like time. lights the elephant on fire. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do this, but I have to. <laughs> I, think, I think the Human Torch melts bars to get the, like, the, the creatures back in their cages. That's not how cages work. Okay, that sounds great. Uh, comic books. That sounds Matt. great. Uh, all right. 
let's talk about X-Men around issue number 500 of Uncanny X-Men and during the post-Civil War drive of the 50 States Initiative, San Francisco openly welcomed the X-Men as their resident superhero friendlies. The X-Men soon made their island of Utopia their home, which was an old asteroid base of Magneto's that had crashed into uh, the bay off the shores. Um, And they're here for like four or five years. Mm -hmm. Have you read those books yet, Matt? Oh, I've read them. Okay. Uh, Matt, Matt, for a long time, was doing a reread of every single Marvel comic published and going like month by month. Well, starting in 2000. That's still a lot. Yeah. Were you using Marvel Unlimited? No, I bought the book. <laughs> he buys every single book. Uh, but this is a four or five period for uh, the X-Men for Marvel. Um, it ends pretty much after the events of Avengers vs. X-Men because uh, Utopia gets pretty much trashed. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's one of the most like, yes, that's how it would go. You know what I mean? Yeah, I've never understood the whole, oh, yeah, the X-Men live in upstate New York. No, they would live here for sure. San Francisco, like especially post-Civil War, where we're like, you know, we're in California. Come on, hang out with us. We got you. Yeah. We're all weird, too. We're a bunch of weirdo. Mm-hmm. We're a motley crew, a motley city. Mm-hmm. Come on. You want to live on the weird asteroid thing in the water? Get over there. That is Come on, much. hang out. The, That's how it went. The, it yeah, is how it would be. The, the issues when they get here are some of my favorite X-Men comics. I think it's, it's, it's Brubaker writing it, I believe. Fraction? It's Fraction... It might be both. Might be both. At different times. Um, but it's amazing. There's a montage of them like going to clubs, and there's uh, there's a yes. great one of uh, a bunch of the X Men at uh, a Raiders game, and all the Raiders people are painted, and Colossus is there, like painted, and it's great. <laughs> um, I remember uh, really good Justin Ponzor colors on that, and it's like you can see like all the. It's just very vivid, and uh, but also uh, one of those issues they're like trying to be superheroes to ingratiate themselves to the people of San Francisco, and it has. It's not often you read in a comic like powers you've known forever done in a new way and they do a a moment where I think like Psylocke is down on the street and there's a robbery in place and she's like, okay, it's happening now and uh, she psychically beams it to uh, Colossus, Nightcrawler and Wolverine and they're on a roof miles away and Colossus picks up Wolverine, (laughs) fastball special, throws him. Nightcrawler just grabs him in midair and teleports him to the alley, so there's like muggers in the alley, and the Wolverine just appears in motion, already flying like a <laughs> missile at these guys. And I was like, oh, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen, and I've been reading this comic since I was four years old, and I just like remember screaming at how awesome it was. And I was like, yeah, if they moved to my city, I'd be super psyched. And then I remembered that they moved out of my city to do this, so I, was like, I can fun. only imagine the horror seeing a five foot tall, 400 pound, Furious clawed Wolverine flying at you from out of nowhere. Yeah, it's, it's great. Amazing. I like how the horror of seeing that you wouldn't even, it would, you'd be like hit by a bus. <laughs> You're there, no one's it's just down. Uh, a couple of extra things while they were here. When the scrolls made their big push against humanity during Secret Invasion, uh, they assaulted San Francisco. There's some cool Carrie Nord art of, of blasting up the city in that uh, limited series. Uh, and in 2011, I remember I was here for WonderCon that year. We had a special variant cover for Uncanny X-Men number 534, uh, which honored the orange and black colors of your World Series winning baseball club. Uh, let's talk about the Celestials and the Eternals. I'm sure you guys have heard those names recently. Did y'all know that a Celestial was imprisoned under San Francisco 
Yeah, Matt, Matt knows that. His name is you know everything. Tiamat the Communicator, uh, because all the Celestials created originally by Jack Kirby, all they all had amazing names and they had functions. That was the thing. These giant space gods, they just did things. It was really cool. So Tiamat the Communicator, uh, he gets into a fight with Arishem the Judge. Arishem is the leader of the Celestials. He's the, my favorite looking one. I had a conversation with Jack Kirby's son once about the, the Celestials, and I was like, man, I loved your dad's work. Uh, the, the Celestials are some of the coolest designs I've ever seen. Uh, I love Arishem. He's like, Arishem's my favorite. And I was like, everything is good now. If Jack Kirby's son is like sharing a joyous memory about the greatest characters, it's great. Uh, anyway, so Arishem, the judge, uh, leader of the Celestials, fights Tiamat, and then Tiamat is held in stasis under San Francisco. He gets beaten up. Uh, he's there for a long time. He's now called the Dreaming Celestial. He was under the area that would be San Francisco for centuries until he was woken up, and then he just stands there. He just, like, hangs out for a while. Yeah, he's in Golden Gate Park. Yeah. He just stands there. He just stands there for, like, three years. Yeah. yeah. Literally, like, it's wild. The most terrifying thing of all. <laughs> it's, it's bananas because he's this golden yeah. celestial. There's, like, great establishing shots of, like, people, pl- whenever they're just like, oh, it's a nice day in San Francisco, there's, like, kids climbing on his feet and, like, people having picnics, and he just stands there. Yeah. It's awesome. Uh, he so is creepy. then uh, waken up by the Eternals. He goes to have a pep talk with Uatu the Watcher uh, in, like, his dream state, and uh, Uatu's, uh, Tima is like, but don't, you're, you're not supposed to interfere, and he's like, eh, that's kind of what I do. It's a really <laughs> funny conversation. And then Tiamat wakes up and he flies off out of San Francisco to fight off the Horde. Uh, that is a very rudimentary rundown of parts of the two Eternal series from the mid and late 2000s. That's the relevant stuff to San Francisco, though. See, that's why I would never picnic on his feet. You're just waiting for yeah. something to happen. You yeah. know something's going to happen. Okay, Eventually, waiting. he's going to get up. Yeah, he's going to do something. Yep. Uh, how about Daredevil? Everybody knows Daredevil. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, our friend Matt Murdock, he moved from Hell's Kitchen to San Francisco twice. He lived here uh, the first time was way back in 1972 when he and Black Widow moved into a house together. Uh, They, you you woo, but it was weird. The first issue, they like had separate places where they slept and there was like, are they, aren't they? They were, but they weren't. They were. Um, The first time, that was 1972, uh, Daredevil San Francisco era began in Daredevil number 87 by Jerry Conway and Gene Colan. Again, we're hearing about mm-hmm. Gentleman Gene. Uh, has really gorgeous splash page of Daredevil atop the Golden Gate Bridge. But he's like, I, I had to quote this. He says, his thought caption is, quote, funny, somehow I was expecting something greater. It's a bridge, just like any other bridge. Sorry for that shade, San Francisco. It is a beautiful bridge. That's just you New York writers <laughs> coming in and throwing shade. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, our producer over there, Becca, she's a bridge expert. Becca, thumbs up, thumbs down on the Golden Gate. Big Two thumbs, thumbs up. up. Yeah. See, Matt Murdock, you know what we're talking about. That's right. He can't uh, see it, though. Sticks he doesn't <laughs> really know. He knows he's really high. Yeah. Uh, Matt, uh, Daredevil and Black Widow have adventures in San Francisco through around issue 108 or so. Uh, Foggy is injured back in New York, so Matt returns to go help his friend. Uh, eventually, Matt gets involved with Moondragon. If you remember, we were talking about that in the history section. Uh, and things with Widow get um, they get difficult, let's say. Uh, and it's a, it's a whole lot of Matt Murdock relationship drama, which is very in character for Matt Murdock. Him and the ladies, 
Not good. Uh, the second time Daredevil comes to San Francisco, it's in 2014. Uh, after he confesses to being Daredevil while under oath on the witness stand, um, he he's disbarred in New York. But Mark Wade, writer at the time, was like, well, you have your license in California. You could practice there. He didn't have to get his uh, his legal license again. So he moves with his partner, his legal partner, and his gal pal, Kirsten McDuffie. They pull up stakes. They move back to San Francisco uh, in a brand new Daredevil series by Mark Wade and Chris Somney. It is beautiful, wildly incredible, especially there's a lot of San Francisco shots, and Chris just does incredible work. His art. Yeah. Uh, so good. Uh, there's lots of big adventures, and of course, it all gets messed up in the end when the kingpin gets involved because that's what he does. Can't just let it go. Can't let bygones be bygones. Kind of got what you wanted. He's out in New York. Yeah. Still going to start crap. Uh, Let's talk about Spider-Woman. For about the last dozen or so issues of Spider-Woman's solo series from, it starts in the late 70s into the early 80s, she lives in San Francisco. Uh, she works as a private investigator here in the city. She's basically in San Francisco on and off for many, many years. Uh, Chris Claremont and Steve Laola were the creators on the book then, and it is a dynamite team. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have all those issues on Marvel Unlimited, but they're really cool. Uh, they're beautiful stuff. How about Venom? Uh, I'm sure everybody knows Venom. The real dynamic duo of comics, Eddie Brock oh and the symbiote, gosh. a.k.a. Venom. They move from New York City to San Francisco with Venom Lethal Protector, a series by David McElhinney and Mark Bagley. The first issue of the series came out at the very end of December 1992, and the first panel of the book is this wide shot of Golden Gate Bridge with the captions, quote, San Francisco, fabled city by the bay, the jewel in Northern California's cultural crown. I don't know what Daredevil's talking about. Yeah, it should have. <laughs> uh, it, it also then goes on to talk about hippies and the human rights movement and other things that are happening here. Uh, but like many other urban areas, there are dangers. Mm. And uh, Venom murders a dude who's about to mug and likely do far worse to a woman in a San Francisco alley. This is like page two of the book. He just comes straight up just... Does bad things to this guy. And then bam, Wolverine hits him in the face. <laughs> like, get out of here! Yeah. <laughs> uh, the woman yeah. runs away, terrified at what's going on. Venom swings off, happy as a clam. <laughs> uh, he ends up hanging out around uh, San Francisco with some underground people who live here in the city. In the Tenderloin, no doubt. Maybe so. <laughs> uh, Superior Spider-Man is uh, the Marvel Universe's current champion of justice in San Francisco. Uh, that is Otto Octavius in a very fit young cloned body. That's at least been the case for the run so far. If you're reading the series, there's some wild stuff happening right now. But the series written by Christos Gage. You mentioned Christos. He's working sure. with you on an Annihilation he's, stuff. He's the best. He's great. Uh, you also may know Christos's work from many comics and TV shows, as well as Marvel's Spider-Man exclusively for PlayStation 4. That's right. Mm -hmm. Insomniac. And uh, <laughs> it is drawn by Mike Hawthorne, who is just incredible. Uh, Otto, he has the name Elliot Tolliver. That's a good alias. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Elliot Tolliver, he works at Horizon University. Uh, he has the villainous team of Night Shift as his lackeys here in San Francisco, which is it's like most teams are here. Night Shift is here and is real fun. Uh, I, I was showing him down, down, down below. Uh, they battle crime in San Francisco. He actually goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with Terax, who is a former herald of Galactus uh, to save your fair city. It's a lot of fun. It is a good face turn for a former villain. Yeah, this is a great series. It's it's, it's really well good. worth checking really out. Really good. Uh, and of course, we've seen San Francisco depicted in several Marvel movies. Uh, in the MCU, San Francisco is the home of the Astonishing Ant-Man and the Winsome Wasp, uh, setting for Marvel Studios Ant-Man and Marvel Studios Ant-Man and the Wasp. 
In Venom, the, the film, Eddie Brock lives and works in San Francisco with his other. We see him visit an absolutely nasty fellow at San Quentin uh, prison by the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in X-Men The Last Stand, there's a massive battle on the Golden Gate Bridge. There's some stuff involving Al- Alcatraz. Uh, the Golden Gate Bridge, it does not hang in there. <laughs> it yeah. gets, it's a rough day for that bridge. Unfortunately, there's a lot of metal there. Yeah, you know. A lot of metal. Not, not how it usually goes on. Yeah, it's not yeah. bad times. Uh, so that was the our, our big talk about San Francisco. Now, you San Francisco natives here, have I missed anything? Oh, Patrick. Patrick, what did we miss? Ang Lee's Hulk. Mm. Patrick, here, have a signed comic that you can give to a fan. (laughs) That you can give to a fan for correcting us. Thank you for that one. Yes, sir. Great point. Yeah, Marvel's yeah. Avengers. Marvel's Avengers yeah. from Crystal Dynamics. That is set here. Correct. Also, a bad day for the Golden Gate Bridge. <laughs> you know what I mean? Every time I'm on it, I do think about it. I'm like, oh, man, this is what Magneto tore apart. Oh, man, this is where Hulk was running along, jumping off a bus. Oh, man, this is where Daredevil said it sucked. Yeah. <laughs> I will think of that from now on. <laughs> it, it's, it's a beautiful page, but I was like, why? Yeah, exactly. Uh, one I noticed you left off was a Superior Iron Man. Oh yeah! Right, or when t- when we get that gr- you know great story of Tony being not great, yeah. <laughs> and releasing the app, I was like, wow, this is a, an indictment of San Francisco <laughs> app culture, but it is apt. It is nailing it. Yeah. Last episode we talked about great heel turns in Marvel comics, and yep. that was when we talked about. I forgot about the San Francisco angle. Greg, who gets this comic? Who wants this comic? Greg Atlas wants it. Greg Atlas is very active, saying many things to this. This young man in the front, you're going to get a comic anyway because you raised your hand. And Greg ignored you. I was looking. I saw. <laughs> Don't turn him on me. I have to. Uh, I still live here when you leave. Ha <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right. Uh, if I no more questions, do you have questions for Matt? More for Arthur? Oh, over here. What you got? Just wondering how it was working on the Marvel 1000 issue that just came out. Ooh. I mean, that was a great issue. Bunch of writers. How, how was it to be part of that? Uh, it was awesome to work on it. It was really fun. Um, they, Tom Brevoort, who was the editor, one of the editors who put it together and sort of masterminded the whole thing and is uh, one of the best editors in the history of comics. Uh, when he asks you to do something, you say yes without really reading what it is. You're just like, yeah, I'm going to do that. Um, and uh, then, I, then I was like, yeah, you have to do a one-page story that summarizes uh, the Punisher, just like who he is in a page. And I was like, oh, that's really hard. And then I was like, actually, it's really not that hard for the Punisher. He just is a guy who shoots people. <laughs> um, and so I I did it, and he was like, do you have people you want to work with? And I sent him a list of like 25 people that I was like, I'd love to any of these people to do it. And uh, he wrote me back and was like, uh, all of them were busy. And I was like, oh. And he's like, and so we got you. Uh, Laniel Yu's going to do it. And I was like, oh, that's someone above everyone I asked for. That was like, <laughs> and I was like, well, that's great. Uh, he's amazing and a genius. And it was awesome. But I didn't know what everything was. It, they were very clandestine about it and very secret. And Al Ewing did an amazing job putting the book together. But I think the most fun besides like when we all got the PDFs and I finally read it and I was like, oh, my God, there's a you know, like a Night Raven story and there's like crazy stuff in here. There's a Star Wars page. Uh, the most fun, I just did a bunch of conventions and people bring the book and it's like a like a high school yearbook. They're getting everyone to sign it and it's there's a hundred pages of the comic. There's a few hundred people who worked on it. So it's like a very fun, like you, everyone who brought it to me, I'd be like, who, whose signatures do you get? And it's like a great history lesson. And I'm very curious to see who will be the first person who gets Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to sign one. Because <laughs> he did a story. Yeah. He did a Jessica Jones story. That's great. Yeah. 
That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, all right, Judy, can you give, uh, do you want a toy or a couple of signed comics? Doesn't want your signed comics, man. It's, it's, they're worth more money, the toys. I'm sure that was the decision. <laughs> comics for four bucks. More question. We have, I have to get rid of these toys. Yes, young man in the front. Uh, wait for the microphone. In the, in the hat. Um, I really liked your Punisher War Machine story arc. Thank uh, you. What gave you the idea for that? Um, well, it's a weird story. Uh, they asked me to do the Punisher, and it was for when Marvel was doing Legacy. Um, things get named things, and... It's sometimes unclear what those things mean. But they were like, we want to back to basics everything. We want to sort of touch on the history of everything. And I was like, well, I really love the Punisher stuff in the 80s where he's going to other countries and, and sort of uh, terrorizing other countries. I think that's very fun. And they were like, that's great. And I was like, uh, I want to do one where he goes and overthrows a fascist government. And they were like, that's great. And they were like, but it needs to be crazy. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, like I'll make it crazy. And they were like, no, like really crazy. And I remember I sent an email in and I was like, what if he stole the war machine armor and went there? And they were like, that's awesome. And I immediately responded and I said, actually, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think we should do that. That's like a little not good. And they wrote back and they were like, no, no, just write an outline for it. Like write a pitch. And, and so I wrote up a pitch and it was a one page document. And when I sent it off, I was like, hey guys, just again, like, I'm not sure this is going to go over well. Like, War Machine's a great hero, and the Punisher is like a scary dude. Stealing his clothes is not very cool. And they were like, no, no, it's great. Write an outline. And so in the outline, I think the first, pa first line of my outline is like, just want to reiterate, I'm not sure this is a good idea. <laughs> Do not make this comic. And, and yeah, and in every step of the way, I was like, I'm not sure it's a good idea. I'm not sure it's a good idea. And uh, then they announced it. And Punisher fans were like, I don't like this because Punisher fans like a guy with a gun for the most part. And I was like, look, I, I like the Punisher. I get it. Just bear with us. And then it came out and I got, for the first time ever in my career, all these people apologizing me like, no, it's actually really cool that he stole the armor and it's fun and it works and it still feels like a Punisher book. So in short, where I got, I guess not that short, but where I got the <laughs> idea from is uh, they challenged me to make it big and I did something that I think might have been dumb, but worked out in the end okay. And yeah. now it's a toy, which I just found out this week. They made a Marvel Legends of it, and that's like the coolest thing ever, and I'm gonna buy like 10,000 of them and give them <laughs> to everybody. I was talking with Arthur earlier about toys, and Arthur, you've had a lot of toys. Uh, you know, you've helped design a bunch of toys. I'm sorry to make you come back over here, but you're, you're here, I like, I, uh, <laughs> I, I feel like we have you. You had toys made from some of your artwork, and you helped design it working with Jesse Falcon, who's been on This Week in Marvel before. That's got to be really fun. It was, a, it was super fun. They asked me to do some, uh, some Hulk uh, designs for toys. And, and my wife, if she was here, she would tell you I have too many toys. Um, so that was, that was super fun. I got to draw oh, the, the various versions of the Hulk, the leader, She-Hulk, the Abomination, who was like my favorite when I was a kid. Oh. Super cool. One more question. Yes. So there's a lot of ways, like there's a lot of different mediums you can be a writer in. What made you want to work in comics? Did you always plan to do that or did you want to write for anything and then just kind of start narrowing it down? Um, I, uh, I give this, I've given this answer a few times recently. Uh, I don't know why it's come up, but uh, both of my parents were writers. Um, so when I was a kid, the one thing I knew I didn't want to be was a writer. I was like, I don't want to do that. That's a hard horrible job and so I worked in the music industry for a long time and 
then I just started to not like working in the music industry because the music industry is terrible. And I just had this real like crisis moment where I said, what do I do with my life? And I said, the only things I like as much as music are Star Wars and comic books. And I was like, well, I guess I'm either going to try and make Star Wars, which didn't really <laughs> seem like a possibility, or uh, I'm going to make comics. And I was like, I, I grew up a Marvel fan. I'm a super Marvel fan. And I was like, well, eventually I want to write for Marvel, but I'll make indie comics. And so I self-published and made indie comics for a while. And then one day uh, I made a comic with the Wu-Tang Clan that's uh, real weird. And I, uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> I made a couple indie books. And then one day uh, the lovely Jake Thomas, who is my editor on The Punisher, emailed me and he was like, hey, do you want to write a 10-page story for Marvel? And I stared at the email for like 35 minutes being confused by it and then just wrote back yes, one word, which was not a good professional way to do that. And uh, yep. and then he was, like, yeah. he was like, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I sort of treated it like it was just an informal poll. Just like, hey, do you want to write Yeah. Um, and then I wrote my first thing, which was uh, in Secret Wars Journal. I wrote a 10-page X-Men story. And my first page, my first story has 36 X-Men in it. And the artist, uh, who's great, uh, was like, why are there so many X-Men? And I said, well, uh, I don't know if I'm ever going to get to write the X-Men again. So I want to say that I wrote all of the ones I love. And... Uh, and then after that, I've I've heard you tell that story so many I, I love it so much. Yeah, I was like, please just draw them all. Please, like, just like these are my thirty-six favorite X-Men. Just put them all in there. <laughs> and uh and he did, and you know, God bless him. And then after that I was like, I just have to do whatever I can to keep this job. And I've kept it so far. And that's my exciting origin story. You know, like Wu Tang clan and selling hardcore records to kids. Yeah. Like normal. <laughs> just normal. like everybody. Yeah. Well, that, that's pretty much This Week in Marvel. Thank you guys for coming. Once again, thank you to Arthur Adams. Thank you to Matthew Rosenberg. Big thank you to Greg Miller. Give it up for Greg Miller. No, please. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks oh. for hosting this. Thanks for coming out here and doing this. Yeah, uh, I, I'm going to be joining you tomorrow for a couple things. That's right, kindoffunny.com. Yeah. Uh, watch us there. We're going to be talking about some comic books. Yeah. Uh, we're going to be talking just general about life we're gonna talk about you i want to know your story i talk about myself a lot well Get then this will be a good episode <laughs> all right very good uh you guys can hear this episode on this week in marvel subscribe wherever you get your audio also do a show called marvel's pull list every week we run through every single marvel comic that comes out we tell you why you need to read them without spoiling them it's a very tricky thing to do uh that's it take some comics enjoy your night thanks san francisco